Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And I'm really excited today that my guest is Judith Stern Peck. She's the author of Money and Meaning, New Ways to Have Conversations with Clients About Money. She worked for 40 years around the world as a family business consultant and as a family therapist with individuals, couples, and families, helping them break through the barriers of talking about money. Judith is also director of Money and Family Life Project at the Ackerman Institute, where she also serves as senior faculty. Judith Sternpeck, thank you so much for being our guest, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, it's so interesting because you know, one of the things that I realized in my life as a divorce lawyer is that so many times people come in talking about money, but they're really talking about something else besides money. You know, it's about power. It's about success. It's about control. You know, what is your experience about that in terms of what money, what are the kinds of things that money mean for people? So I think money means a lot of different things for people, and it can have all of those meanings that you just described, which might kind of intersect and probably lead to the the taboo of really talking about money. And basically, the research project that I did at Ackerman starting in 2000 Really, that was really what we came up with, that money is still a taboo subject for most people because of those multiple connections that they make to the meaning of money for them. And we wanted to see if we could interrupt that, shift that. And so the project led to a place where we gave them a new language with which to think about and talk about money. And that language was using values. And when you talk about kind of what's important to you, it kind of can take on a different meaning. So let me give you a for instance, okay? And the child wants to buy this toy and that toy and this toy and that toy. How do you respond to your child? Well, I guess there are a number of ways. You probably say no, though. <laughs> you probably say no, or you say I'll buy you one. I'll buy you one toy. You need to pick one, or you say I can't afford it. Or you, I guess you could theoretically buy all the toys and just hope that you're buying their love. <laughs> yeah, but but you usually kind of the the what we introduced was you know that we could probably buy one or two or three of these toys, but we don't think you kind of need all of these toys right now, and we think it's important not to kind of 
give you an abundance of what you want just because you want it. Right. We're just going to buy one toy today, and another time we'll buy another toy. So yep. it's really teaching kind of a kid using that kind of language and conversation and saying that that's not what we see as kind of the overriding issue here that comes into play. So it's using those teaching values at a level of whatever level your kid is at and then also communicating in that way and having a fuller conversation about it. Yes. So how does that help our children? Because I heard you say that money is kind of a taboo subject, right? And so right. are we saying when we say to our children, you don't need that many toys, we're, we're creating that taboo or something different? When you just leave it at, we're not buying you toys today, you're not giving any background or meaning to how the kid reads that to you. But when you say, we probably could buy you more toys, but we don't think you need more toys right now. We don't value, we don't think it's important for you to have a lot of toys because we want you to be creative and figure out how to make toys out of things around the house. Or we think you should be using your time reading and being outside. It's a way for you to explain the decision you're making. Instead of just making it about a, a buying decision. Exactly. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, just to take it back a step or two, you said, you know, to introducing this topic that the subject of money is taboo. And, and it's sort of, uh, you know, someone once told me that talking about money in this time in history is kind of like talking about sex for the Victorians. Do you think that's true? I think for some people, yes. And why is that? Why is it that money is such a taboo subject? Well, because I think money has so many multiple subconscious meanings for people, as you said at the very beginning, that the conflict is there. So most often what we all do is instead of talking about whatever is conflictual for us, we don't talk about it at all. Ah, so it's by avoidance. It's avoidance. And money is avoided completely. And money, I mean, you know, maybe somebody wants to keep the power in the relational dynamic, and therefore they hold on to the purse strings, and then they don't want to talk about it. How often do you have a new client come in who says, let's say, more women than men, when you say to them, do you know what your annual budget is or your monthly budget is? And they look at you cross-eyed because well, I think they don't know. Because, because they don't. Their husband keeps control of that. Or they don't ask. And why don't they ask? Or why have they never asked? Because they've bought into the dynamic of the husband maintaining the control of the money. Right. 
And do you think that's because it's just too hard for the couple to talk about it between them? And so they just don't. It's not that it's too hard, but in some, at some level, Catherine, they've made a contract together. That uh, like a, what like I call a, a relational dynamic of you're going to be the provider and you will take care of all the money. And in exchange, I will take care of the house and I'll take care of the kids and I'll take care of you. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because, you know, you use the word budget. And normally when I'm talking with, with my clients, I don't like to use the word budget because it sounds like the word diet, right? It means restriction. It doesn't really mean that. It really is about a spending plan, right? Like measuring the cost of what, what, what the things are. But I think that when people start to get into the divorce um, or talking about separation or starting to talk about those things, they have this implicit contract, which you're talking about, where one person provides the money. This isn't always true and certainly shifting lately. But one person provides the money and the other person distributes it, right? I, right. I buy groceries. I pay Con Edison or whatever the electric company is. I pay the insurance company. I buy clothes for the kids. I buy things for the house. And you just put money in the account and I distribute it, right? And then when you say, okay, now we're going to change that up and I'm going to tell you how much you get to spend. Now it's, you know, now we're actually going to have an explicit contract about it as part of the conversation of separating households. That becomes really, really uncomfortable for people. And, exactly. and so, exactly. right. And, you know, it's also true when people are getting married and talking about prenuptial agreements and, and they don't want to have that conversation about what that's going to mean like during the marriage because in some ways we've all had this implicit contract around money with our parents maybe, with our, our siblings, you know, and to be able to have that explicit conversation feels wrong even though it could really help us avoid some particular problems in the future. Do you think that's right? I think that's absolutely right. Yes. I'm going to ask you more about that due to the stern fact, but I want to remind people that they're listening to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller, and we're here on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester County, alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 5.30, or perhaps you're listening on the podcast, which is available on all podcast platforms, as well as on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm talking today with Judith Stern Peck, LCSW, about uh, money and the taboo of money conversations. What can people do who are either know they're uncomfortable talking about money or suspect they might be or are married to someone who is uncomfortable talking about money? What can people do to start taking baby steps to having better money conversations? So the exercise, one of the things that I describe in my book is how we began to get people to think about what their values are. In other words, if I asked you off the top of your head, Catherine, can you, do you know what your core values are? What's important to you? How do you think about who you are, your kind of, kind of core identity? And most people don't think in terms of what their values are, although we make decisions every day based on those values. And so we created a kind of little card exercise 
to help people determine what what their values are. We then kind of do a second exercise that's described in the book about kind of asking them what their biggest financial decision has been in the last six months to a year. It could be buying a car. It could be buying an apartment. It could be taking a vacation. And then we say to them, and what were the values that you used to inform that decision-making? And they'll pick three of the values. And then I'll say, okay, so let's look at the values that you chose originally and the values you chose now. Are they the same? And all too often, they are not the same. They are contradictory in at one level or two levels, or maybe sometimes they are the same, but very often they're contradictory. And part of what we recommend is to give yourself permission to make a financial decision that might be contradictory to kind of your how you think you should be and what your ideal values are because we are not always making decisions that are in complete alignment. So let's go back, if, if we could, and just give an example. All right. So if you say, okay, Catherine, and just I'm just making this up, my you know, what are your top three values or here are your values? And I have three and it's family, security and integrity. Okay. And then I I just bought, you know, the top of the line, I bought a Porsche. (laughs) Okay. And you say, all right, so how is buying that Porsche in alignment with your values for family? No family can fit in this car with you. <laughs> you know, security, you spent a lot of money, you could have put into your retirement account, and integrity of wanting to be kind of in alignment, living a life in alignment with your values. Say, you, might, so you bought this car. So I might say to you, you know what, Catherine, I know that these are not always in complete alignment. They're not according to kind of the way I like to live my life, except let me tell you something about me. For years and years and years, I have so wanted to own a Porsche, to drive a Porsche, to feel the power of the Porsche, and I worked so, so hard for the last 10 years, and we've saved up enough money so that we are secure and so I just thought I owed it to myself to buy myself a present. And being able okay. to have that conversation, Catherine, is what I'm talking about. Because if I say that to you, then how do you respond? Well, then I guess I feel less. I mean, I guess if I'm confronted with buying the Porsche, the Porsche feels like guilty and shameful unless I can really understand right. what's going on there for me. Like, I shouldn't do it. Uh, you know, I mean, people do this all the time in my office. They apologize to me for their spending habits. And I'm like, I, I'm not judging you for how much money you spend at all. I just want to understand what it is so we can help you move forward. They're two different things. 
Exactly. But what I'm saying is in a family situation, and I like, let's call it a, a husband-wife. If a husband and wife say, the husband comes to the wife and says, I want to buy a Porsche. And the wife looks at him and says, she says exactly what you said, but we, we can't fit the kids in the back. Right. What good is this going to do us? And he then turns to her and says, but you don't know, from the time I was 11, 12 years old, that has been my, my dream car. And I've worked so hard, and I've really wanted it for so many years. I really feel we can afford it because I think we are very secure. So, right. So then she might feel really differently about it, right? Exactly. Exactly. So what we say is think about values as the, as the language and recognize where the contradictions are and acknowledge them, accept them, but talk about them. Yeah, instead of just sweeping them under the carpet. Exactly, because it's the unknown that makes people, you know, people then make up their own stories. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVLX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Judith Stern-Peck. She's the author of Money and Meaning, New Ways to Have Conversations with Clients About Money. And Judith, if people are interested in learning more about your work or your project at Ackerman or your book, how can they find out more information? Well, so they could go on the Ackerman website to find out more information about the project, look under research and projects, and my project is Money and Family Life. That's number one. And number two, the book is sold on Amazon.com. And who should be interested in reading the book? Who's ever waking up to understanding that they want to understand money in a different way and how money plays a role in their lives and how they can change that. Or the other way to do it is whoever wants to educate their adult children about money and kind of the fact that their adult children might be kind of coming into a trust of some sort Or it could be the other way. I mean, you know, it could be a family where they've lost a lot of money and they have to kind of look at their money differently over time. Any family where the meaning of the money is becoming an important subject where people want to begin to explore with each other. So, you know, there are a lot of families, I think, where money is used to control behavior. And there's families of wealth where parents try to or use money to try to control their children or use money to try to control each other. And and if someone is in that situation uh, where they feel like money is used to manipulate or control, do you have some ways in which or exercises that they could do to start thinking about it? in a different way so that they have the courage to have that conversation? Well, I would say the first thing they have to do is educate themselves. About the ways in which money 
about how they might have developed their relationship to money or how the yeah, money has been used to develop. You know, just educate themselves about the money, the use of money in their yeah. family, and how that goes. Because, so, of, like, let's go back to the original conversation we had where one is the provider, the other is the distributor. If I'm paying all the bills, am I just paying bills? Or do I have a better understanding about how many checks I write per month and what those add up to? And then do I understand what it takes to, to make that money, to earn that money? Do I have yeah, any so idea how many, how much taxes are paid in order for me to have the end result of that money? So it's really kind of beginning to educate yourself about kind of that the money is just not coming out of like the air, where it comes from, how it's made, and what so it it's, takes. It's, so it's less magical. It's not magical. It's sort exactly. of it's very concrete, right? Exactly. And, and makes therefore makes it manageable instead of just something that's there or isn't there. Right. To take away that sense of control. Because once you educate yourself and you understand it, you might have a different view of it. It might change your understanding of it. You might That's not spend it as randomly. Yeah. If you knew what it took to get it. Is that exactly. what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. Right. For the last three years with a whole intensive day, of interactive exercises where I end the day taking each individual's kind of what what I call a money-focused genogram, which is a multi-generational look at the theme of money in their family and how it was used. And the amazing thing is that there are so many people out there who don't want the responsibility and the ownership around the money and money decisions. If the dynamic is that way, it's a big burden for the provider and the person who is earning the money and managing the money. Yeah, I think what you're saying is that when you have a situation where one person is responsible for bringing the money in, and, and that feels like, I mean, and it is, it's a burden because that responsibility of providing for the family can sit heavily on that one one person, but the other person is just spending it and not taking any responsibility for how it comes in. And that disconnect about the seriousness of the need to bring money in in order to live the lifestyle that the family is leading uh, becomes a real disconnect and, and conflict between them, even if it's unspoken. Is that right? Exactly. 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 So, you know, I think that's been uh, it's really useful information, information juice, for people to have. And I thank you so much for bringing to Divorce Dialogue this money conflict conversation and some steps for people to move forward and solve it. Thanks again. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. Nice to meet you.